Hello and welcome to the Coffee and Comics Club. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Good evening, Todd. Good evening, Taylor. Uh, we are recording in the evening, so that first segment uh, that we talk about our coffee, I, I always wonder if you're actually drinking this late. Uh, not drinking coffee. I am, however, drinking, because this is like another Coffee and Comics After Hours episode. Uh, <laughs> yep. I should have like the Mad Men like martini music playing in the background. I'm drinking uh, a glass of Dancing Bull Cabernet. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, man, I wish I'd thought of that part of it. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> drinking some tea. Uh, I'm drinking some uh, throat comfort tea with lemon and honey. Hey, um, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, so we are, um, well, geez, I, we should just jump right into it. I mean, why why intro this anymore, right? Let's, let's do, and we're recording this late on a Tuesday evening uh, for a variety of reasons, but that's okay. Um, I have a book pick this week I'm very excited yeah. about, and it is... I, I've sort of laid out the next couple weeks of books, and I'm I'm actually pretty excited nice. about by everything. Um, it's a it's a lot of books I've sort of been sitting on waiting uh, for the right time, and then I think that's now. This week uh, I have a trade paperback that combines a love of New York City, mathematicians, the butterfly effect, and chaos theory. Oh boy! And no, it is not. Ian Malcolm goes to New York. Uh, <laughs> It could be. I would read the shit out of. I think a lot of people would. Uh, trademark Todd and Taylor for that little <laughs> idea. Um, we'll just do. We won't call it Ian Malcolm. We'll have like a you know a very Ian Malcolm esque kind of character who talks like Jeff Goldblum. That's Malcolm Ian. Malcolm <laughs> Ian. Yeah. My, exactly. No, it's not that. It is a book called Strange Attractors. Nice. And uh, published by Boom. Which I, I want to specifically call that out. We've done, if you're a listener of the show, we've done quite a few image titles. Um, I think it's no secret that you and I are both in the bag for image. Um, yeah. And with, with good reason. However, recently in the last year or two, I have really discovered uh, a love of Boom. Boom has done some really freaking cool stuff uh, lately. And especially titles and, and indie titles that are very image-esque. Uh, but sort of fit the vibe and style of boom in an interesting way the one thing boom does really well is the single issues tend to have of all their stuff tend to have a really graphic design kind of feel and are really hyper collectible um another series i'll I'll talk about later on uh and in future episodes is very much this way but uh strange attractors the single issues are definitely worth collecting those covers are great written by charles sewell i believe that's how you pronounce his name or soul uh, who's written on Letter 44 and Daredevil, if you know those titles. Art by Greg Scott, uh, who did The Black Hood. And also art by uh, Sue Lee, who does a companion short story that follows along in the same universe. And the trade paperback was released in 2013. So not too long ago, but you know, it's been a while since I think uh, this ended. And it was definitely a limited series. It was a, you know, it was a start and an end. And rightfully so, there's really no reason to keep this book going. So if you're looking for those sort of really nice, you know, uh, weekend reads that will give you a lot of bang for your buck and you'll be you know, over and done with in, a, in an afternoon or a sitting, this is definitely for you. I have the trade paperback. But like I said, you can definitely I would collect the single issues physically if you are so inclined. The trade paperback has a few bonus DVD extras at the end, but nothing crazy. Um, which is a little disappointing because the, the book is so interesting and there's a lot of good stuff in here. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more on the extras uh, in the back. Let me give you a – I'm just going to read the back of the book. and I'm gonna, It's a little bit of a struggle because I don't want to – I really don't want to spoil a lot on the story. So I'm going to kind of focus more on the themes and the characters and sort of give you a sense of that. Uh, but the back of the book says, Dr. Spencer Brownfield, an el- elderly disgraced former professor – believes that for 30 years, he has been the sole person standing between New York City and complete cataclysmic collapse via his adjustments, tiny butterfly effect, ah, butterfly effect-like changes he makes to the city. Now, though, he is dying and disaster looms over New York. Enter Heller Wilson, a brilliant mathematics student who discovers the theories of his ailing, perhaps insane genius professor. Can Wilson take what little he's learned and save the city in time? So... It's, it's, there's three primary characters. There's Dr. Brownfield, the original guy, his student, uh, um, 
Heller Wilson, or just I'll call him Wilson. And then New York City is also a really strong character in all this. The location definitely is a, a huge component to this. Um, the premise, I'll just try to... Uh, I'll try to do the premise in a general way. The premise is that with enough math and understanding of social psychology, one person can keep a city going by using a variant of chaos theory and the butterfly effect. So this professor, if he makes small little adjustments, uh, they all kind of coalesce together to keeping the city on track. It also asks the question, can enough small actions act in concert to affect New York City's infrastructure in positive ways? So... For example, if, you know, like uh, he might go and give a homeless woman like 20 bucks or he might walk into a convenience store and like, you know, rearrange the magazines or he may, you know, cross the sidewalk at a different point in time or, you know, you know, be waiting in a park when, uh, you know, a basketball rolls to him and he rolls it back. There's a lot of little things or like he may, you know, maybe on the subway and he may like give somebody a, you know, offer somebody his seat. Like, it's strange little little things that in his mind add up to be this big kind of profound change. He's got like these crazy, insanely wonderful uh, geometric maps of New York where he does oh, all right. his, his data mapping and everything. Um, so when Heller first goes to his apartment or his house kind of to, you know, to be introduced to this whole notion, he sees all these maps and things and all this like kind of data mapping and analysis. And it kind of shows you like, you know, if you pull this thread here it could affect this and this and this and this and it's it really does rely on some you know there's a little bit of magical thinking involved but it also does rely a lot on heavy mathematics and now are those good. are those maps like a big feature of the art in the book uh yeah i mean like the covers if you look at the covers there the white covers will have uh some of that represented um as well so you get to see like you know the bronx and queens and it's got like maps and things but um it's it it threads through but it's not crazy intrusive um you know like they'll keep going back to his house and he'll have like either on the computer or on the wall uh he actually has this journal the professor does that's got like these crazy um i'm looking at one right now like just these wonderful mathematical models um with a lot of like formulas and geom- you know, geometry and kind of just showing like x equals y and it's it's you know that causal kind of like the causal loop um is represented a lot so he goes the the, the main professor goes to a, a lot of effort to sort of convince Heller that like, this is working. If I do this, this will help. Um, they mentioned that the 2008 uh, financial crisis was largely because uh, he wasn't able to make enough of these, of these decisions to <laughs> avert that, you know? So it's like, and then, and, and, and there's also kind of like the companion story. There's like a short story that, that goes alongside this that actually shows uh, Dr. Brown. Is it Dr. Brownstein? I was uh, Brown field. Okay. Brownfield shows Dr. Brownfield earlier on in his career, and he actually um, works with somebody else. And it shows kind of in a in a pretty fast clip what can happen. Uh, you know, a, you know, a very successful business person might be homeless as a result of some of these changes. Like you, you'd never know quite, you know, the knock on effect and the cause and effect of different of different decisions. Um, and just the butterfly effect and chaos theory are really well treated throughout this whole thing. So this you- is the first time I've, you know, the butterfly effect, when people kind of lazily describe it, they're like, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings and a hurricane can hit Florida. I've never bought into that. I think there's a lot of really good logical sound rationale for why that explanation of the butterfly effect is, is utter dog shit. The way they approach it here, though, makes way more sense um, where you can kind of see very specific things. And it's not random. You know, he doesn't just walk outside his house and go, I might, I'm going to go buy an ice cream cone and that's going to affect the city. (laughs) He has very specific things that he knows. If I do this here on this day at this time, this could change 10 other decisions across the city that day that might end up affecting this thing. Um, And just in general, like how the, the, the happiness of the people of New York or the, you know, the, confidence of a business person that day might be affected by this or this. So it's, it's really cool to kind of see that play out. Um, the, uh, the narrative structure of this resembles a thriller and you know, where I think the way it's the best described is where a well-meaning hero keeps getting dragged deeper and deeper into a conspiracy until he finally saves the day. So as, uh, Will, uh, as uh, Heller Wilson uh, kind of gets further into this, you know, he doesn't he doesn't buy any of it at first, and then he starts to see examples of where this is actually working, and then you know, uh, 
he ends up taking on more of the responsibility for various reasons and he ends up actually being a really huge component in all of this so that's kind of cool and it really i think the feel the way the art uh delivers that story feels a lot like uh the better episodes of sherlock or ncis you know those kinds of procedurals uh where there's kind of a uh, you know there's a thriller component um now do you get the feeling that like they are the good guys are you rooting for them um you know what's pulling us along in this you're rooting for he- i mean you're definitely rooting for heller in the beginning you're you you know you have a favorable opinion of of dr brownfield that might change as okay. the book progresses especially as it relates to that side story uh you really there's a lot of shades of gray let me just put it that way okay um the art is really great. Like it's really cinematic. Uh, I almost wonder if they did some photo modeling uh, just because some of the way that the shots are composed is just really realistically done. Um, just great, great art, really good color, uh, really good use of light. Um, you know, th- when the afternoon setting sun is hitting like that just looks really cool. Their night shots or their shots in darkened rooms are just really well done. Just really, really dramatic use of light. Once again, and then I'm going to sound like a broken record. This is one of those books that could easily be made a Netflix or HBO show. Um, I'm glad it's not, though, because this the story works best in this format. It would be very easy, I think, to adapt, but I think it would be lesser for it. You sort of need the you need to drive the tempo yourself um, as a reader. I think that helps a lot. I think if it was a it's weird to say this. I think if it was a TV show, it wouldn't be as exciting. It's kind of one of those things that just it feels more interesting. The urgency is there in book format. I think if they had to drag this out to a TV show or a, you know a short movie or something, it just wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. It would feel clunky. Uh, much in the same way, I, I guess it's it's a weird comparison to make, but much the same way. Remember when we I, I talked about Death Note, and the Death Note movie yeah. left me really underwhelmed. I honestly think if this was translated into film, it would probably be the same. Like Death Note works really freaking well as a manga. This works really freaking well as this, but it's drawn and and sort of storyboarded in a way that like you could easily see this being a a film feature. Now you mentioned, Uh, uh, I mean, and maybe this is just also from what I've clicked around on the web. It's it's very located to New York. Like you mentioned on the covers of some of the, you see maps of the Bronx or Queens or something. Um, and that you mentioned that New York is like a character and then yeah. also that they make reference. I, this is what I understood to the 2008 financial crisis. So is there the feeling that this is just happening in present day or is it specifically grounded in like 2009 or something? I mean, does any of that, you know, is it, I'm trying to get to like, is this so much in a specific New York, you know, 2009 or does it really resonate the same right now? I'd say it's it's New York anytime in the last ten years. Okay. Um, they don't. I don't know. I forget if they mention uh, the ninety nine percent rallies. Um, oh, I don't okay. think yeah. they do. I mean, maybe they're mentioned because you think that an event like that would have been talked about. So I feel like this this was written. I think right when that was happening. So I don't know if, how much he acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. Um, if at all, but yeah, this is definitely a New York from the past 10 years. Like it's not, not the, it's not the eighties. It's not like some future version of it. Very, very grounded. Um, very so like two, 2008 is referred to by name, like the 2008 financial crash. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know if they mentioned the year, but it's, it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the, the gotcha. 2008 financial crash. Okay. So it's not um, like some weird alternate history or anything like that. Like you just, you feel pretty solidly like this is our reality. New yeah. York. And, and you you feel solid. It's one of those books that I love. You know, I love the stories where you're like, this could be literally happening right now, mm. um, because it's not like these guys at the end are. You know, it's, it's not like the nightly news where you know the events would be pretty well publicized by the end right. of that story. This is not that. Like these guys kind of exist and sort of operate under the radar. And you could kind of go, man, I could probably go to New York now and find somebody, find these guys. Like I could literally probably find them doing this stuff. And it, it's kind of. It's it it's that it's that re, very real baseline, but with some heightened stuff that just kind of makes it you know, you know a little bit more fun. Like man, I could I could see this actually happening. Um, huh. And they again they treat the math really seriously. And they aside from a little bit of magical thinking, like you kind of feel like man, this this might actually be a thing. You know, like the the way they're treating chaos theory in this, like could actually 
I, I don't know how much of an impact it could have, but you could, you, they chose enough examples where you're like, wow, I could see how this connects to this, connects to this. It's kind of cool. Um, even like things like, you know, the mayor is, is, is brought into it a few times and like he might see a news story that affects a policy decision. And that news story is based on something that happens to a woman who interacts with the, you know, Heller and, and Brownfield yeah. earlier that day. So it's like, wow, how, like that's kind of just watching the dominoes fall and interconnect. Just that's, that alone is kind of worth the, the buy, but it's a really compelling story. Um, Heller's got a girlfriend that he, that's kind of a, you know, sort of a, a background character who comes in and flushes him out as a character a little bit more. Um, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting ideas. Do you get the feeling that the writing, the writer or the creative team behind it had like a mathematical background or some sort of hard science background that led them to this story? I'd say and I, I, I did a disservice by not rereading the intro um, when I did this, uh, but like, all right, I'm about to talk about something I did no research on. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read. Well, I'm gonna read. Here's just a quick excerpt from Charles Soule, who who's the writer. Uh, you can't fight in New York. It will roll right over you if you try. The best you can hope for is to sort of surf the wave of the city's complexity. You can choose a piece of New York City and make it your own emotional, literal home, but you can't understand this place. Not all of it at once. No one can do that. But what if someone could? That single idea was the impetus behind Strange Attractors. The city can be a hard, uh, hard place to live, even though it's an easy place to love. I wanted to write a story about a man who takes his immense love for New York City and uses his equally immense talents to make this place a little easier, a little safer. I feel like, having read that, that he, um, you know, he started with that, and I think the complexity and the mathematics were something that he either had a background in or researched enough to where it felt legitimate. Yeah, interesting. Um yeah, I mean, all the art, uh, it also looks like there's a, a crazy story behind the, um, it looks like this was sort of republished in 2016 with that new story. Mm. That, um, well, so the, the companion story appears in the single issues. Now, the trade paperback I have gosh, actually yeah. has a, um, it has a different cover. There's like yeah. a really crappy cover for the trade paperback if you go to I, Amazon. That I'm looks that too. Yeah. It's like yellowy and just weird. And like he's kind of like the, the main guy looks like he's just poorly drawn. The trade paperback I have, it's Heller Williams. Uh, Wilson? Oh, not, not Heller Williams. Heller Wilson. It's like him falling through like a, you know, New York City as dominoes and he's kind of like reaching out and it's, it's very dark, um, which is strange because the covers on the single issues were perfect. Surprised they didn't try to do some version of that for the trade paperback, but even so, it's still a, it's a really good cover. I think it makes it more intense than it really is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it kind of, but the, at least it's not. I think the original trade paperback had that really crappy cover. This republished version with some of those DVD extras. This was, let me look here. I believe this was the 2016 version I'm reading. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I've not like like I say all the time, I I do little research when I <laughs> on these books for a good reason that I guess I'll talk about in the when we get to the book I picked. But uh, um, so I'm not trying to play gotcha with you. It just looks like from what I clicked on, it looks like they that he originally published it as a graphic novel and then mm. they split it into single issues. Oh wow, that is news to me. Yeah, that backstory stuff, and then again, and then compiled it into like a new. Um, so that's fascinating because as I discovered as single issues and it works incredibly well as single oh. issues, like there's little cliffhangers at the end of each one. So if this was an original, like even the way it's compiled, like the cover art for each single issue separates the chapters. Um, I'm, I'm not even totally sure that I got that right because I've clicked on like a couple of reviews of it and an interview with the writer. And every time I'm like, wait, what are they describing? But mm -hmm. just throwing, that, throwing that out there, like that's some of the info. But this is just a wonderful little puzzle box of a book. You know, it's it's heightened reality. I, I tend to not really dig uh, graphic novels or comics that are just pure reality. You know, like there's a lot of those like noir detective stories that that are just completely like incredibly grounded. I just I've never been into those. So this is there's a grounded realism, but then it it has this sort of heightened thing going on that I really you know I, I dig that kind of a story. Um, so if you're looking for that, if you're looking for something more, if you're looking for just a really rock solid indie book that has some interesting ideas, that is that feels pretty fresh and original, but also very plausible, definitely pick this up. Strange Attractors by Boom. Nice. When you were describing it, I thought you were going to talk about Nowhere Men. 
And I couldn't remember if we had uh, done a show on Nowhere Men, like dedicated to one volume, because I know you brought it up. Not yet. Yeah. No. And, I, and you know, the other, I'll tell you this, the other book, it kind of like thematically kind of reminds me of, um, you know, if we're talking about you know, baseline real books with like sort of a heightened thing, they're not like us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fits this too, because they're not like us could, very similar. Like it could very well, this that could be happening now. It's basically the most grounded freaking version of the X-Men I've ever read. Um, but they don't, you know, nobody's running around like with, you know, costumes on, nobody's yeah. flying or like, you know, demonstrating some giant feat of, of magic or power. Like it's very grounded, but it's, it's heightened, you know, and it's, it's got that, you know, they know it's a very delicate dance that they know how to play. And I, I, these guys definitely crafted that well too, but it, one more time, just one more little plug. The art definitely, um, you know, and I'm picky about my art as you well know. And this, I just, I really dug the art on this. Like even the way they draw, like the uh, the way they draw Doctor Brownfield, like as he ages, and just kind of the way his hair is, you know, his hair on his face, just like they they must have had a photo reference for him because it's just it really it looks yeah. really believable. That actually, when I brought up that thing about the years of publishing, the reason it was confusing was because I was looking at this page of art and that old graphic novel cover that you reference that's on Amazon definitely looks like out of place compared to the interior art. And I was sort of wondering, like, did they actually update art? when they republish this or, but it, yeah, it looks great. Um, and for curious listeners, you talked about, they're not like us in episode number 63. Um, I'm going to talk about something that comes out of a discussion we had uh, in episode number 67, but I didn't want to cut you off. If you had any more to, to plug no, in I'm, that. I'm good. Uh, this great little book. Um, definitely. If, I would, I'll, I'll end with this. If you ever try to figure out like what, what is Taylor into? Like what? Like what best defines your style of of indie comic? I this is a really great example. Like this is something that you know, if I had a if if Amazon had a filter perfectly calibrated to my tastes and this popped up, like I would instantly buy it without you know sight unseen because it really does. The more I got into it, I'm like, oh, this is clearly. I, it was one of those things where I bought issues one and two because the covers look cool and it kind of the premise seemed neat. Went home. Love those. Went back to the store the same day and bought all the rest of them. Oh, nice. Yeah. So all physical copies then? All physical copies, which I still have, but I wanted the trade as well. Yeah. Because I just wanted that on my shelf so like the physical copies could just kind of stay in, in archive. But yeah, the uh, the trade is – I would definitely – you know, it's cinematic enough where I'm sure it would be really fun on uh, Comixology or digital if you're looking at pan one panel at a time. I'm, I think that would be great. But I there's – some of the page turns are really fun. Like they sort mm. of, you know, some of their like, you know, their big reveals and things work really well when you turn the page physically. Um, and you're not really spoiled a lot. You know, they don't, you know, they don't put a, a major scene, you know, on the same page that you're looking at. It's it all, they, they did a really great job with the page design and the setups. So I, I think the physical is just as, as legit. Cool. Uh, yeah, I also, I, I wanted to add, I'm glad you did something from Boom. I don't know that I plugged it last week, but Lumberjanes is another Boom title. So oh, is it? Oh, great. It's cool that we're branching out. <laughs> yeah, well, like Image, obviously, but Boom and IDW are two publishers that I'm... And and honestly, um, uh, is it Honey? Pony? Oh, God. Oni. Oni Press. Oni Press, yeah. Yeah, based in Portland. Um, I'm really... I'm going to probably talk about an Oni book or two in the future as well. I think those are the three... I think of those three, Boom is definitely the the one giving image a run for its money on the indie side um you know yeah. there's a lot of i think i've seen a lot of creators who would have gone to image now going to boom um with some of the projects so it's interesting to see how that how that's gonna play out well i have not picked image or boom uh i've gone right to the big two and chosen a dc title uh i read uh batman volume five which is called the rules of engagement um as i mentioned this came up in episode number 67 that we talked about where we talked about the vision with our friend drew and drew is a huge fan of tom king the writer and he mentioned you know he's uh, tom king's been on this run of batman since the rebirth or whatever and it's he's just been crushing it so i thought i should <laughs> i should you know figure that out and like start reading some tom king batman um so i just grabbed this uh volume i don't know that i based it on anything other than um, the cover possibly. <laughs> I'm uh, looking at the cover right now as you say yeah. that. 
So it, uh, I knew, I didn't know exactly what stories were in it, but I think I knew when I bought it that the Batman Catwoman wedding was ahead of us this summer and that maybe this was the most recent volume leading into that. And I thought, okay, at least that will sort of catch me up to where, you know, I could pick up single issues and right, you know, kind of figure out the, the wedding, whatever. Um, so uh, the cover, as you've discovered, uh, definitely it depicts Batman in that bat soup look where he's out in the desert in the duster and he's got the goggles on and stuff mm-hmm. on a <laughs> um, horse a stride a rearing horse Batman. yes um uh and it's uh this is v- very much like a lead up to the wedding in in all senses so okay. the first long story the rules of engagement story that's two or th- i think it's you know what i was about to say it's three issues in here but i really think it's only two issues um is uh uh, Batman and Catwoman are going across the desert to this like secret city. I think it's called Kadim. Um, and it's, it's very much like the desert adventure story. You know, it's uh, Indiana Jones or like Tomb Raider or something where it's just like a vast desert. They meet a guy at this one city that's, you know, Nightwing has told them he's the best guide. So then he guides them to the city, even though he doesn't want to take them to that city. And then there's this gigantic, you know, just giant man that's very powerful that is guarding the gates of this. And the Justice League has put that man there uh, to stop anyone who would come, whether they're a hero or a villain. Uh, there's a, you know, great scene of like Catwoman saying like, you know, let, let me let me give this a try, you know, and then uh, off screen beating that guy up. <laughs> So you don't get to see it. Uh, very cinematic. Like it plays into a lot of like cliches. Uh, the banter between the two of them. Um, and it turns out that they are. I, now there's probably some prelude to this. That would have been helpful for me to know. But like I said. I didn't do any research on that. <laughs> and I guess I should mention why I don't do research on that. Is because I realized uh, today when I was thinking of this book. Um and often, like in many of our podcasts, I'll say, oh, I didn't I didn't dig too much into this. It's because I'm I think I'm consciously trying to avoid that Game of Thrones trap mm. where or Song of Ice and Fire trap, I guess is a better way to say it, where I don't want to get so hung up on all the lore and all the details around the, you know, that that are sort of circumstantial to the story that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that I need to know the whole soap opera of Batman and Catwoman to get to this point and just read an episodic adventure with them. Mm, Um, I like that. That makes sense too. Cause I mean, especially given that there are so many, I mean, good Lord, just even in rebirth, there's a lot of, of Batman Catwoman stories, but then it's like, I mean, do you go back and read all of them for the past 20 years? Like what, what's Canon? What's not what matter? Like it's almost so overwhelming that you just, I like your approach. Cause it's just like, well, I'm not going to even worry about all that. I'm just going to jump in right here and see. What I, and definitely like that was a, an unconscious approach. You know, I still haven't necessarily been able to. Uh, I did it a little bit with uh, Thor when it was Jane Foster, but I still feel this nagging urge to go get every volume of the mighty Thor that has her in it because I had read uh, whatever they had called the title, bef- the, the goddess of thunder. So I had read that, which was sort of like the prelude to her taking over the Mighty Thor title. And then I didn't read the Mighty Thor, and then I read the ending arc of it. And it's like, there's just that collector's head that just wants me to go, you know, you got you got the bookends, man, just fill out the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, yeah, it's, it's a very unconscious thing that I picked up Batman and just had to tell myself, like, I'm okay with this because it's leading into the summer story. So they're going to this cave uh, where, you know, there's, uh, like I said, there are a lot of sort of movie tropes. There's the giant army that comes out with swords to fight them. um, And they have to take on this huge army. And there's this banter back and forth, you know, Batman saying like, uh, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of soldiers and Catwoman saying, well, it's not the most I've ever seen. And he's like, well, it's not the most I've ever seen either, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to one up each other. Then it turns out that uh, Talia Al Ghul, is in this cave, like this is her city or whatever. Um, and she comes out and fights both of them with swords, uh, defeats Batman. And then Catwoman has to defeat her. Uh, but they're all like, they're there to get, um, 
this character whose relationship to Catwoman I have never been sure of. Um, and I keep wanting to call her Holly <laughs> Robinson, even though uh, that is one of the stars of the original 21 Jump Street. But, um, <laughs> There's a deep cut. But I really think that that is, uh, I really think that's her name. Um, but she, uh, oh, why is she being held here? Damn it. I'm flipping through to but try to while, find her. While name. you're doing anyway. that, let me ask you, well, yeah, yeah. Checking that, let me ask you this. I have been perusing the, just some page samples. This, a lot of this looks like a Western. Is that, is there a trope there thematically? Does that make sense? Or is that purely just coincidence? I, I mean, no, I think it's played into a little bit, but it, it's, I think it's more of just because they're in that desert environment and it's, it's, it feels much more like a, like an Indiana Jones, like a trip Got to it. an exotic sort of temple. Um, anyway, they, they've gone, uh, to bring Holly back. Um, I guess this was, like I said, this must be the resolution to some arc that I'm not aware of. But in the meantime, there are these flashbacks to Alfred, uh, and what seems like, I, I don't know what the plural noun for this would be, but a plethora of Robins, like a, a murder of Robins or something like every person who's ever been a Robin, except um, the interesting ones are there. And it's really annoying. I, I mean, it's sort of a funny. By scene. Wait, wait, by interesting ones. You mean like Carrie Kelly and all that stuff? I mean, Carrie Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, there's one that I thought was, uh, um, but like Dick, Damien, it's wait, Dick, wait, wait. Damien. I think uh, Damien there. Yeah, he is. Maybe Jason. I don't know. Is Jason Wait, no, still? No, I have is, no idea. How, what is his relationship with Talia? If Talia comes out, you know, beating Batman down, like what is? Where's Damien fit into all that? Oh, that's his mom. No, um, I know, but like, is he there? Does he witness that? Does he? Oh, so so there. Play him against each side. The, there's a story in the desert, and then there's a flashback to like Dick and Damien and and these other two Robins. Uh, and Alfred telling them that Master Wayne has proposed to Selina. Oh, okay. And telling them where they went. Um, and so Damien and Dick, I think it's Dick, they all look a, the same. Um, uh, they go to the desert and like they end up waiting there and Superman's there uh, because he has come to extract Batman. But then he realizes like, well, I don't know, whatever, you know, it's that part of it is all sort of. Yeah, you're just flipping through like that's great. You know, just action movie kind of story. It doesn't matter if it totally makes sense to me. <laughs> um, but uh, there's this undercurrent of like Damien wondering if his dad, Batman, is truly happy. Hmm. You know, so there's it's you know it it's uh, it's not deep like super deep or anything. But it does give the story this kind of emotional pull of like why he would go around the world to try to help out uh, his dad and Catwoman when they're fighting his mom. Um, it, they don't actually engage at all. They end up just sitting on the steps of this city and waiting for Batman and Catwoman to come out. Okay. Um, uh, and there's this feeling that like they've, they've got whatever they came for and they've sort of, you know, gone through this trial that uh where batman had to you know face his ex talia and you know sort of perform this feat of strength and i mean that was it it just felt that sort of mythological thing of like we've decided to marry uh, and now yeah. we have this arbitrary trial that we have to go through you know and and defeat our enemy so that we can prevail and be together I like that. And I mean, it's almost like it sounds like they started with that concept and then just yeah. wrote a story around it because that's so it's it's a very Grant Morrison way of of approaching things. Yeah, uh, actually, you you saying that just made more sense of it than the way I was <laughs> thinking of it. But yeah, I think that could be the case is um, because I like when I went back and revisited the book today, I found myself not really caring about those details. Like I said, of like what came before or how Holly really fit into this. Like I know from reading the wedding issue now that Holly plays a role in that. So maybe this was uh, prefaced in earlier volumes where Selena really wanted Holly to be there or something. And they had to go get her out of this prison or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, but I just found myself not really caring about those details. You know, it's like a, like I said, like an Indiana Jones movie or something. Oh, Can okay. I ask you a really embarrassing question? Of course. In this story, but also in the, I mean, spoilers in the wedding story. Yeah. Do, is it Bruce and Selena getting married or are they in like full co costume and cowl, like tying the knot? Like, 
They are. That's a great question, actually. Um, they are Bruce and Selena. They are in street clothes or like, you know, wedding clothes, like mm-hmm. tuxedo and wedding dress. Um, but there, <laughs> there is some funny thing of like, it's not public. It is not a huge, big wedding. Okay. It's a private ceremony where each of them just invites one witness. So Holly's there. Alfred's there. Um, I don't even know that like Damien's there. Uh, but it's um, it, it's basically like we're gonna get married, but we're we're keeping this secret. Okay, so it's not like it's not like one of those like ridiculous things where they're in costume and like every hero has come right. to see their wedding also in costume, and it's like oh god, like I I, I when I they first announced it, I have not. Sadly, I have not caught up on any of the Rebirth Batman at all. No. So I just, I'm, I'm kind of just in the dark watching what I see on comicbook.com or something. Yeah. But I, was, I was just like, man, this is, that's either going to be a really well-executed thing, which is what seems like what you described, or it's just going to be hokey as hell. So I'm, I'm glad it's not that. It's really well-executed, and thank you for setting me up so, so well into this. So then after that, there are three more issues in this collection. Mm-hmm. And two of them are a story that Drew mentioned in that episode we did with him about vision. I think, mm-hmm. I think he mentioned it in the episode when we talked about Tom King and he said, Oh, there's this like, you know, he does human things with Batman. Like, and he, he told the story of in a recent issue, Batman and Superman went on a double date with Lois and Selena, but it was like Lois and Selena are meeting for the first time and they go to this uh, County fair. So there's, there's one issue in here where it's, um, two conversations happening one between Lois and uh, Superman and one between uh, Selena and Bruce. And at the time that they're having those conversations, it's like, you know, Bruce, you just need to call him, just tell him already. And Bruce is beating up a bad guy. Like while she's telling him that, and then it's Lois telling Superman the same thing. Like, yeah, he's your oldest friend. He's Bruce. And, And meanwhile, Superman's flying around the planet to save it from some, you know, atomic man or something. And, um, so it's the, it's the women sort of pressuring them to get, get on the same page and, and let each other know what's happening with this wedding and whatever. And then the next issue is that double date where they go to a carnival and it's, everyone's in costume. So they quickly change into their costumes, but they switch them out. So no one will recognize them, mm. which doesn't make any sense. Um, so it's like Lois is dressed in Catwoman's outfit. Catwoman's dressed in Lois's street clothes you know bruce is in the superman outfit <laughs> uh, clark is in the batman outfit like complete with the clark glasses on front of the cowl you know mm-hmm. and then there's just sort of a fun story that happens at the carnival you know and it's just that banter back and forth between all of them getting to know each other and uh it's just a very human kind of relationshipy story and then the last story in this book is uh super touching and i will not spoil the emotional impact of it but it definitely has one, which um, I, on one hand, it's hard to read this collected volume because it's not just one arc. You know, it's not just one story, I guess, mm-hmm. but it is all an arc leading towards that wedding. And so the last story in this book is um, this just sort of the emotional story of when Batman and Catwoman first met and sort of this retelling of it and how their relationship started on this very flirty but antagonistic you know, footing. And then there's sort of a middle period story from it. And then there's like a late period story from it uh, that happens after the wedding. Um, Or at at least like after, you know, the relationship is official and it's, uh, it's just like that sort of brings it home. And the reason I bring this up after what you asked about uh, the wedding story is that um, you can tell that Tom King and, and, and I'm sure the artists that worked on this as well are like, just lovers of the Batman myth itself and the Batman Catwoman relationship. Like they're, you know, it's just, you know, when they first meet and she's in the original costume and then there's, you know, it's uh, the old Batmobile is in it. Even with, there's like a reference to the giant penny that used to be in the bat cave. And um, it's just very touching like that it, you know, references i guess it's not like references like easter eggs but just the fact that it sort of ties this whole history together well let me ask you this because and and 
do you see a lot of parallel in the writing style of Tom King here versus Vision? Because it seems like he did some of that in Vision too, like where they flash back to Vision and Wanda's relationship. Like there seemed to be some reverence kind of towards you know I, that I mythology. Really, I hadn't thought about that, but that but definitely now that you mention it, um, because Vision was just a character that's sort of I mean largely unknown to me, you know. Um, but you're right; there were those emotional cues back. Uh, to, to the white costume vision and the um, mm -hmm. yeah the relationship with Wanda and um, I guess the, the you know it's a similar way to tell a story but it's uh, this one you you think has a happy ending because it's Batwoman and Catwoman Batman and Catwoman getting together and that vision one was really this dis you know dystopian vision of or mm. version of like the vision's life as like you know this terrible replica of humanity and uh the tragedy that comes along with that so and in the wedding issue specifically which is not in this collection but if you wanted to go out and read that um there are just so many old references and old costumes they do this really cool thing where there are all these big splash pages to tell the story um in sort of voiceover and they got a different artist and inker pair for each of those splash pages. So mm. you're getting different art styles throughout. And a lot of them are artists that have worked on the books before, you know, there's like Jim Lee's in there and Amanda Connors in there. And um, uh, just everybody, I, I think Raphael Albuquerque's in there as well. And so it's this cool thing of like, you're seeing all these different styles of art that are depicting different time periods in the Batman Catwoman relationship. That's all in the wedding issue. So it's just very, um, you know, lovingly, like respectfully rendered. Uh, it's not a white knight thing where we're going to, ah. you know, we're going to take, not that that's not respectful, but that was definitely a thing of like, I'm going to take this part of the world, you know, and sort of change it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's been cool to read these Tom King books. Uh, I don't know that I feel that same collection instinct or collector's instinct where I want to go back and grab volumes one, two, three, and four, but I'm pretty confident that if I wanted to just read a cool Batman story, I could grab one of those and understand it. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not like uh, Batman reboots in the past where I just can't pick it up. You know, once, if you miss the start of it, you can't figure out where you are. Yeah. So, or just, or it too much has passed since then, where it doesn't feel like it's even worth going back yeah. to. Um, real quick, you, uh, I want to shout out the the illustrators. There's Joel Jones, Clay Mann, Lee Weeks, uh, and then Amazon also throws Michael Lark on the illustrator list too. So a diverse lineup. Do you? I guess as it goes from issue to issue, do you see is each issue a different person? How yeah. do they divvy up that work? Um, I, I'm most familiar with uh, with Joel Jones, um, and she is actually writing and illustrating Catwoman now. Mm. Um, so with Batman number 50, where, where the wedding takes place, they followed that up with a new Catwoman series, solo series. Um, and Joel, uh, and also I believe it's edited by, uh, isn't it edited by Jamie? Uh, what's his name? Um, sorry, Jamie. Uh, shoot. Look up that editor. But uh, <laughs> I think it's edited by Jamie S. Rich. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, he is. So Jamie and uh, Joel have worked on a couple books that I've, been i've read before um and like for example she's got a title called lady killer i believe that jamie writes and lady killer is like there's a panel or a couple panels in this where one of the robins is reading like the lady killer murders <laughs> um and uh sort of a little easter egg there for her other book uh but she does those first issues in the desert like the very actiony pieces and i just i love her art um, and the others were excellent as well. I just was unfamiliar with them. And it, 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 you know, on one hand provided a nice break because it's like, okay, we're out of the wilderness part of it. And we're going to tell the fun dating double date stories. And then the emotional uh, callback to when they first met story. So mm -hmm. it was nice that the art was different for all of those issues. Um, but it does make it for a, you know, a book that, that feels more like a collection than, you know, it's not a single story. So it's worth noting, Joel Jones also illustrated issue number three of Superman American Alien, which is the oh, yeah. one where um, Clark winds up on the boat and everybody thinks he's Bruce Wayne, uh, which is kind of a, a fun little episode, too. But like that, it's 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 crazy to, to look at that because the way she draws, at least in that issue, 
looks very similar uh, in in tone and style to how most of the Invincible uh, book has been drawn. Mm. You know, kind of boxy, angular uh, bodies and stuff. And I actually really dig that style. So it's just, I'm just looking at a couple of those excerpts like, oh, man, that she could have drawn on Invincible and felt right at home. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at some of her Catwoman stuff too. And that looks really great. So I need to check out more of her work. I haven't read Lady Killers at all. Oh no, sadly. Yeah, I she um, wrote this book, or I mean, sorry, she drew a book that Jamie uh, S. Rich wrote that I really liked that came out several years ago, which is just a standalone noir detective novel um, called "You Have Killed Me," mm. uh, which is a um, I, I, I'll do it on the show one day. I'll, I'll review it, but it's a that's a Morrissey lyric, and I got Jamie to call that out, you know, and I, like, I, sorry, I met Jamie when I, when I got my book and, um, and was like, Oh, I, I get this reference or, you know, were you explicitly quoting Morrissey? And he was like, Holy shit. That's, <laughs> that's right. Um, so, uh, of course I have a deep appreciation for, for that book, just probably just because of the Morrissey reference, but, um, that was where I first got introduced to her and I really like her art. So interesting. Her, yeah. It's worth noting by the way, and this is probably, I don't want to diminish your pick at all, but the uh, oh. volume volume four, <laughs> which came right before this, is uh, Batman volume four, The War of Jokes and Riddles, which is sort of a, a background on the Joker and the Riddler kind of warring for who's going to take out Batman. So it looks like this whole run um, has got some really interesting stuff. I may have to go back and start. I'll start with volume five because it's your pick, but I may have to go back and even pick up volume four too. Yeah. Uh, um there is a uh, boy. There's sort of a rogues gallery scene in the Batman wedding issue, where you just kind of look at it and go, "Oh, holy shit!" <laughs> is Tom King writing all of these? Yep. Has so he not, done the entire the entire Rebirth run? I am going on uh, Drew Huddleston's <laughs> facts here, but um, as I understand, he he took over with the Rebirth, and he has done all of these. Uh, issues that is interesting i mean name checking grant morrison again grant was kind of the guy pre-rebirth was kind of like the main um batman writer for a lot of that stuff so it's interesting that tom king like i man tom king yeah i'm seeing him on everything quickly rising i mean tom king's kind of the new jonathan hickman in that he's just (laughs) prolific as hell and he's like they're giving him these big titles to do really cool things with um now i I, I say that not knowing who came first. Tom King's probably like, screw you. I've been writing since the 90s. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, just it's it's got that. I don't know. I, I Has Tom King done any indie, like a lot of indie stuff? Do we know? I feel uh, bad for even asking. I don't know, but I do think that Drew called out a whole bunch of his work besides just Batman um, in that episode. Uh, he looks younger than Hickman. So I'm just going to say, wait, he's an ex-CIA officer? What? <laughs> Oh man, if Wikipedia is to be trusted, uh, and he's only three years older than me, that makes me feel terrible. Yep. Let's see. Let me just, I'm going to look at his bit real quick. I just want to look at his bibliography. A novelist, huh? Well, he did one, A Once Crowded Sky, and he's got mostly DC and Vertigo. And the only thing he did on Marvel was The Vision, and otherwise, he's just a DC Vertigo guy. Hmm. And most of his stuff on DC is actually justice league oriented in some way shape or form or batman oriented yeah interesting yeah give that, I, dude, give that dude an indie book I'm, I'm curious to see what he i mean good lord the vision alone is worth its weight in gold career-wise like give that guy more yeah um it's good i don't think you know there's nothing in the book that's too like and in the vision as well that's like writerly like mm-hmm. there's nothing that sort of distracts you like um uh, where you feel the frustrated novelist coming out in the comic prose, you know, I, Mm. I, I, uh, that Batman wedding issue is kind of difficult to get through, uh, reading wise because it is so heavy on the nostalgia, I guess a little bit. Does it feel really soap opera? y? It doesn't feel soap opera, y, but it feels, it's like the main action of the story is, uh, being interrupted constantly by these splash pages that have um, monologues from either Batman or Catwoman, which are really well written and interesting and stuff. But it is, um, it makes it, it just makes it feel more like a collector's piece 
than I, it's weird to say I, I the way you're framing that like maybe i would have preferred a soap opera mm. you know it's sort of like you'll see them you know holly and selena uh fitting the dress and like getting the dress on or whatever and there's like a little interaction with them and then you'll flip the pages these two splash pages where it's all one page is all selena's narration and then the other page is all bruce's narration and it's you know it's like your eyes they were so blue <laughs> um, and you're like wait what the what I get, what's with the dress? Did it fit or not? I don't. Interesting. <laughs> but um, but like I said, it's such a like loving appreciation and like respectful treatment of the whole Batman, you know, mythos that it yeah. just felt, uh, you know, it felt nostalgic in a good way. Um, you know, we don't need uh, it's it's always aware. Like I loved the. Uh, Bat Girl and Burnside, as I've pointed out many times. Oh, yeah. But honestly, the only reason that worked for me was because it did something different with the sort of hipster Burnside uh, setting and and the definitely the very manga-ish art of Babs Tar. Because I did not like the idea to reboot Batgirl as Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. So when they did that, if they had not done something weird, I would have like I would have been really annoyed if they just rebooted Barbara Gordon and it was just a straight Barbara Gordon story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but with Batman, it felt, I guess, especially after the death of Bruce Wayne and all this other garbage that happened right before that, it's like, man, just bring us back to like what we know, you know, mm-hmm. get us back to Joker and Riddler and Catwoman and Batman. So let me ask, uh, okay, yeah. this is probably a question for another day. And I, I no, it's a question for I, right now. I ask, yeah, I ask this knowing full well that I absolutely love the White Knight. I love yeah. the Dark Knight Returns. I love the Killing Joke. Like, there are some staple Batman stories. However, all the Batman books that I love are one-offs or yeah. Elseworlds books. How much longer do you think we can get more series runs of Batman books now, considering you know, all the history we've had? And just like all that, I mean, like they've kind of done, I mean, at this juncture, especially with him marrying Catwoman, like, is there anything else they could even do um, well, in, a, in a regular series run? I think that, you know, I, I, they'll keep going forever. I don't, this is one of the things DC screwed up with all their reboots in the past 15 years or whatever. Like I, I just, at this point, hate that they've rebooted three times or whatever recently, because yeah. otherwise we would be at like a Batman issue uh, 900 or 1000 or whatever. Like I think action comics just went to 1000. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they kept renumbering it. Uh, that's why we're only on Batman 50 right now for yeah. the wedding. Um, but you know, I mean, he was married, uh, to Catwoman before, like in the eighties. Oh, okay. Uh, and their daughter was Huntress and that wait, was, what? Yeah. And that was on earth too. And then the crisis destroyed that whole history and they rebooted Huntress as this like uh, Italian American daughter of the mafia kind of thing. Yeah, that's how uh, I it's know her. So freaking confusing. But like, I always think of her as the daughter of Selena and Bruce. Oh, you're blowing my mind. I mean, A, I'm just demonstrating my Batman ignorance uh, pretty heavily. But B, like, th- what a crazy cool concept that is. Like, Huntress is the I daughter know. of Batman and Catwoman. Like, that should be enshrined in canon forever. I, cr- I totally agree. <laughs> like, that's so. Think- so on one, I mean, so think of how cool that universe was where then, uh, you know, in the eighties, uh, uh, Alan Moore, I guess did killing joke mm-hmm. and paralyzes Barbara Gordon in what's supposed to be kind of an else world story, but they decide to make that paralysis of Barbara Gordon part of Canon. Mm-hmm. So in that, I don't know that that was earth two or earth one or earth 16 or whatever, but, um, if they were happening in the same world, we're in a world where Batman and Catwoman are married secretly. Their daughter is one of the birds of prey. And then his protege Batgirl has, um, is now uh, paralyzed and is also a bird of prey. And, you know, it's like the possibilities there. Are so I think so much more rich. I think mm-hmm. there's actually a real interesting discussion to be had on where we are now, where they're trying to keep everything sort of nice and not messy you know, like part of what I like about this, that it's so like I've used that word respectful and stuff is like it's it's not necessarily taking a bunch of chances with Batman. And maybe that's what we need right now. But also it's because everybody just thinks about this huge franchise now. 
Mm. You know, wouldn't it be cool to see him riding a dinosaur? Like that's just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, working. Now with you're, the, now the now you're talking crazy, Todd. Today. You're talking like those, those, those Coke fuel executives in the eighties that were like coming up with He-Man toys. Like, okay, this one <laughs> is a skunk who rides a dragon <laughs> and we're going to call him. Let's see. Skunk or, and his dragon will be fly jaw. It's just like, <laughs> Make it. Well, as long as Superman fights a giant robot spider and has no cape. <laughs> sure. Well, um, as long as what's his face isn't involved in Superman movies. What's the name of that that dude? John. <laughs> oh God. If you if, if you haven't if you're listening and you haven't ever heard Kevin Smith talk about the uh, story about ma- trying to basically being brought on to write the Superman movie that Nicolas Cage would have starred in, it is an amazing story. It's on YouTube and it's any unreal. number of any number of uh, configurations, but like, it's God, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, Cause it's, it, it is, it's like that guy, that producer, and I forget his name, but he, he went on to produce the wild, wild west where he put in his robots, his robot spider. spider. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, well, great. I love this pick. It's, it's actually gotten me sort of psyched up to maybe check out some of these, these rebirth Batman books. I had actually looked at, uh, I strangely had picked up some of the wonder woman stuff. Oh, uh, rebirth! Just because I was like, "Well, what's this about?" And um, not really, hadn't really. For some reason, I just I've gotten to that point where Batman's boring to me unless it's these Elseworlds one-off things. Yeah, which I, you know, I'm, honestly, part of that is those are just self-contained stories, start to finish. So they they feel yep. more like indie books. I wonder though, and uh, this is a question you can ponder until next episode: if they had never broken up the numbering, if they had left it like, let's say, Invincible, which start to finish. Is one, it's you know ten years of story, but it never breaks. Yeah. Um, if they had kept that going with Batman, even for like let's just say the last twenty years, like would that have been a better idea than trying to re you know reset it and reboot it? Every I so you know often? I don't know. I know you just said answer that in the next episode, but it, you saying it makes me think about it. I I don't know because on one hand, everyone who listens to this knows that I'm always. I always want stories to just wrap up. Just give me the mm-hmm. book that I can buy, like two volumes, three volumes. That's it. Um, but there is something really charming and appealing to the, like if I think of all the new 52 books and then rebirth books, and if that were all one continuous line of Batman stories, I would now at like later at this point when we're arriving at this point where it's, you know, the character is marrying Catwoman. I would think that is so cool that we went through the story of Bruce Wayne dying. Um, I, I can't remember what he did. If he went to another dimension or something and then Dick Grayson becoming Batman and taking on Damien as Robin, because in the new 52, they, they did this short run of the death of Bruce Wayne. Um, and at the same time, they were running a series called Batman and Robin, which is where they introduced Damien. And it's like, man, if that were all just one title and all that crazy shit was happening, it would be so bonkers to go back and and read all those volumes, you know, but now we're just in this. I've noticed that on Amazon, the way they're treating the volume problem with uh, DC right now is they're calling this volume five of eight in the 2018 series. Oh, my God. So that now you have a way to classify on Amazon like, okay, what is this entire run? And you can click on it and get that whole run. That's way too confusing. Oh, Jesus. But it's, I mean, it is very confusing to say, but it's like Amazon had to figure out a way to explain it. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it's based on everyone returning volume four of Nightfall or whatever. And they're like, yeah, I need volume four next. And then they order it and they're like, what the fuck? This is, oh, that's a good point. 30 years old, you know? And it's, uh, anyway, it's um, interesting to ponder what would happen if they hadn't re- rebooted everything. Um, I, I guess the other part of the re- of the reboot is if they just done away with all titles like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Like if they just said, well, this one is just called, you know, Batman, the rules of engagement. And then it's just oh. six and you go, oh, shit. Yeah. And then th- there's still a Batman comic after those six issues. It's just called Batman, the wedding, you know, or whatever. Like that, that would be, be really cool. That would be really cool. Yeah, you're right. I do. Hmm. Let's keep that conversation going because I think there's I, that's something that Marvel seems to do a little bit better than DC. Yeah. That I, I I wonder what DC. I mean, Jim Lee's been running that show for a while. It's it's weird that he wouldn't be more intentional with that. 
Um, so that's, let's just definitely keep that going. In the meantime, uh, <laughs> where can folks find this show, Todd? Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, and anywhere that great podcasts are found. And you can find all those episodes and all the links to subscribe anywhere at findusthere.org. Um, that's the name of our little podcast uh, network, findusthere.org. Uh, and what about, I, am, oh, yeah. I, am, I am by Taylor Trask on Instagram and Twitter. And I am at hey Todd A on Instagram and and that other place <laughs> and that other place that uh, we're not as twitter happy as we once were yeah. but regardless find us there and find us there.org and uh, we'll you'll find us next week on another episode of coffee and comics club excellent talk to you then yeah.